0: This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Messer and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio.
1: All day I've been wanting to talk to this guy, uh, given what we saw, Carol, mm-hmm. but the moves by the Fed, what yeah. we saw in the equity markets today. He understands the world of credit and special situations incredibly well. Dan Zwirn joins us, CEO of Arena Investors, joining us on the phone from Long Island. Dan, great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. All right. So, first of all, you're well, family's good. Tell me about sort of what you're seeing out in the world. Well,
2: thank you for asking, and they are. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, you know, we're, we're. it's been evolving. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, we certainly saw equities breaking down, uh, but the kind of o- over-the-counter institutional markets were relatively immune and, un- and really weren't reacting at all. Then we started seeing, about a week ago, um, kind of institutionally held, um, basically arbitrage-related positions starting to come out, starting to get liquidated uh, of various sorts across um, rate of return things in in merger arbitrage and relative value. And then the last, uh, you know, kind of half a week, we then saw large-scale selling and liquidations of kind of institutionally held loans and ABS offerings, of which we probably haven't seen at these levels in several years, in most instances still a good ways away from kind of where the bottoms of an 08 or an 2 or 98 look like, but um, certainly uh, a, a level of activity and a type of activity that's been uh, a long time coming.
0: So Dan, how far away are, do you think we are from that bottom?
2: Uh, I think if you if you did it kind of apples to apples in a very general sense to where those other uh, where those markets kind of bottomed out, um, I think it looks like we're probably a third to halfway. Um, wow. You know, there's a good a good way to go because, you know, as I've as we talked about uh, in our earlier discussions, there was such an absolute frenzy of credit, uh, fueled originally by uh, the kind of depressed risk free rates from the monetary authorities that uh, things got so overdone uh, that it just means that the the the, 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 uh, the trip back is going to be longer and harder.
0: So. I have a thought there, though. So if it wasn't the virus, from what you're saying, because, yeah, it was such a frenzy of credit, right? We all talked about all the money that was sloshing around there, whether it's the public markets and, you know, especially even in the private markets. So was it just a matter of time that something, um, maybe not in this magnitude, but we would have had some kind of undoing of all of this?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's totally consistent with the last, you know, several hundred years of market behavior. Ultimately, the thing that kind of knocks the market off its, off its chair is going to be something uh, none of us counted on by definition. If right. we were counting on it, then it wouldn't do that. <laughs> and so every, every five or 10 or 15 years, you're going to see this. And, and by the way, it doesn't really seem to uh, fit the kind of normal distribution because we've had, you know, we've had four or five, one-in-a-million-year type things happen you know, in the last 25 years. So clearly something's amiss. And so when you saw this kind of frenzy happen, I would liken it potentially to, you know, not to 08 or 01, uh, or, 01 or 98, but really to 02, where the mm. WorldCom fraud happening uh. in the wake of Enron and others happened, where there wasn't a fundamental change even in the general macroeconomic environment as much as a, a, a an absolute repricing of risk and reward across the credit spectrum.
0: That's a really smart there, point. Yeah. Keep going. I'm sorry. There have
2: been... Uh, well, there's just, been, there's just been so much uh, – this party has been such a frenzy um, that – and it's l- lasted so long even relative to kind of normal careers that right. the number of people even uh, old enough who are still in the market who were senior enough to be kind of at the trigger in some of these uh, old-time times, so to speak, uh, has dwindled. And so this is a big surprise if you just haven't lived that long. Right. Uh, and so that really exacerbates what you what you see. And then, as I noted in a in a bit of a paper I wrote, you know, there's a whole series of secular changes that happened in the wake of the of the crisis of the O8 right. crisis that have changed the game, uh, such that it, it if a situation like this ever arose, the issues that it caused would be greatly exacerbated. So tell us about that, because that's exactly where I was
1: going to go next, Dan, is these structural changes. And I believe the last time you and I visited on Bloomberg Television, we talked about this. There have been these structural changes that were at least, if if not an intentional, certainly uh, an unw- maybe an unwitting reaction to what we saw in the financial crisis. What's the most important structural change that got us here?
2: Well, I think it, it's it, first and foremost, it's just the absolute explosion in the number of um, uh, asset liability mismatched entities out there, whether it's ETFs or certain types of hedge funds or mutual funds. Um, you know, just because you allow investors to get their money out daily doesn't mean you can produce it for them. Uh, if you're buying loans or, or buildings or other highly illiquid things that were put into these entities, and so that is a is a really major issue uh, and that really starts uh, the starts the other ones down the path.
1: And, and is that just owing to all the money that was pouring in, especially from the private side of things, or what led to that imbalance?
2: Well, because ultimately uh, there's going to be – if the customers want it bad enough, yeah. uh, you know, someone's going to give it to them. And if someone mm-hmm. really, really wants their yield and wants the perception, if not the reality, that they can access their money when they want, someone's just going to finally say, okay, here you go. You can have your money anytime you want, but by the way, and all this all these disclaimers in the fine print, it tells you how it's not gonna actually happen when you need it.
1: Let's get I think we can get to Paul Rabel now. Uh, he joins us on the phone from Los Angeles, co founder and the chief strategy officer of the Premier Lacrosse League. Uh Paul, you got me? I have you now. All right. Sometimes, Good to uh, talk to yeah, you. Thanks. You.
3: Great to talk to both of you. These times are about as uncertain as my cell phone service. There
1: you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Well, we've only, we've got less time with you than we wanted, but let's make the most of it. I mean, the state of sports right now, you've seen some tremendous things. You (laughs) run a league. Um, Where are we in the world of sports? And have you ever imagined anything like this?
3: We have never seen anything like this. Certainly haven't imagined uh, that a world would exist where there are no professional sports leagues in play at this moment Um, and so for all of us at at the league level we've actually locked arms and uh, are are having conversation daily so between the pll the nba the pga tour um, and then there's also a a seasonal tranche of uh, decision makers so Probably uh, safest right now are fall sports, right? And uh, and we're in the summer, so we're certainly uh, observing what the current leagues are doing. That we're caught in the middle of the season, having conversations with all the networks, the venues, shareholders, advertisers, and with the news today about the Olympics postponing, which you know, it's I thought it was anecdotal to the way this whole. You know, this this whole last seven to ten days have gone really. It's felt like we've uh we've experienced a whole year's worth. So to put it in perspective of the Olympics, they sent out an email to their membership just yesterday around the prospect of discussion of postponement and they would have a decision in four weeks. They made a decision in twenty four hours. Yeah. So it seems to be uh the, the, the state of leagues right now is we're having minute by minute and hour by hour conversations. But our goal is to continue to persevere through this and get our product out to the communities um, because we're, we're servicing a lot of constituents from our fans to our players and uh, health and safety and following public official guidelines is uh, sits at the top and is everyone's priority. But, for a long time, and we're talking a century, sports have been core to human connection, and they're tribal, and it's the way people feel entertained and motivated and so on.
0: Yeah, and there is still this need, this drastic need, and I see it among even our, our you know, editorial community of people being home and feeling very isolated. So to that point, Paul, what are you guys doing to continue to connect um, with your fans?
3: Yeah, that, that's a great question, Carol. So where there is challenge, and I was listening to you guys talk about the public markets, there, there are also opportunity. And so if you look at the network television landscape, what we've seen is, is as, as OTT and technology have disrupted is that live news and live sports have become the last standing firewall. So right now, network national and local news has seen a dramatic uptick there is no live sports on right now. So the traditional sports networks are replaying old programming, but also looking to acquire programming that hasn't hit the shelves yet. So they're looking at expedited documentaries and expedited docu-series timelines. We're going to see a big pop in an NFL draft, but in the interim, we've seen big climbs in engagement on social media and in particular tools that these platforms launch, like Instagram Live, where you're seeing not only musicians, but athletes go live on these platforms and communicate. So that's the silver lining, is, is finding through technology in an era where we've never had this level of connection with an audience to uh, maintain that sense of entertainment and human connection that sports have traditionally brought through live games.
1: And so, Paul, knowing that the timeline is incredibly fluid, you know, when does your team, what's your timeline for thinking about your season, which I believe is scheduled to launch at the end of May, right?
3: That's right. So right now we're uh, a May 29th and 30th opening weekend, and it's getting tighter and tighter, Jason, to to your point. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot that we're going to find out in these next two weeks as, mm-hmm. as we're in the midst of of the curve. And, uh, you know, there's a lot that our economic leaders and public health officials are, are deciding on. And right now we can, we consider ourselves very much a part of a horizontal strategy to to self-quarantine as a nation. But I, I think it will evolve into a more verticalized strategy to focus on imminent threats. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then from there, we'll, we'll see uh, kind of a trickle back up to normalcy, hopefully. And so for us, given our cushion, so to speak, in scheduling, matched with our tour-based model, which we had announced with Bloomberg now about a year and a half ago, we actually have uh, about a dozen scenarios that we've planned around contingency of if we have to delay the start, we can actually pull by virtue of that tour-based model, similar to like Jenga and restacking your right. blocks, is we right. can take week one and slide it to our 1st bye bi-week in July. We can take week two and slide it into our 2nd bye bi-week. So right now we have about a half half of our scenarios where we maintain a full regular season, playoffs, and championship, and then the others we can take a traditional game weekend where all of our teams are in market, extend it a day or two, and do double headers so we can fit. So our goal is to optimize and maintain our current schedule so we can, you know, be great partners to our network and our advertisers. But it, over top is is health and safety of the players, so we're monitoring it right now.
0: Well, and uh, to. To that point, though, Paul, right, like, as you said, how things, how the Olympic Committee sent something out over the weekend and thought, you know, there was going to be at least four weeks to still think about it and then change their tune just today. I do think, and I look at the financial markets this way, that things could change very rapidly if we get our he- our head around it. I, we've only got about 30 seconds, but I guess that's the same for sports, or is that the case, just quickly?
3: That- That's absolutely the case. You know, the Olympics, I think, are a different case study. It wasn't apples to apples to leagues because you're talking about a 14-day tournament and the domino effect of a four-year setup where a lot of the countries are still determining who their participants are going to be. So they had to make a decision very swiftly. And it's going to bring a lot of economic economic deficit to Japan. But that's why they're going to postpone to 2021. Uh, But you're exactly right. This is very analogous to the markets the sooner we can kind of align as the private and the public sector and move swiftly, I think we do need to verticalize our efforts right. into the most right. imminent threats or most at risk and try to get the yeah. less at risk back to normalcy.
1: Right. Stay safe, All Paul. right, stay safe, Paul Rabel. Uh, we'll catch up with you more in the not too distant future as you continue to make decisions.